Wow, well, good morning. You may find your way back to your seat then, and we're going to get started this morning. Um, we are talking about, uh, kind of entering into Lent this morning a little bit, and talking about this title of the series, sermon this morning is Lost and Found, and uh, we'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute, but this idea of losing something, um, letting go of something, fasting something is a big part of what we're going to talk about this morning. I just want to have this conversation with you about what, what does that look like and help you decide for yourself what that might look like for you. Now, how many of you have ever been in a place in life where you've decided to like kind of swear off something like, I'm not going to do that for a little while. Maybe it was something, something that you enjoyed doing. Maybe it was something that you knew that you shouldn't do anymore. But how many of you like ever went through that process and I'm giving that up for a while? Okay. So you know what this feels like this, like the first, like at first when you do this, you're like, and I don't know if this could be good or bad, right? Like, ah, you just have this little thing going on inside of you. Like, I don't know if I really want to give that up. I don't know if I want to, like, get rid of that in my life. I kind of like it. I kind of enjoy it. And, and uh, I was thinking about this because I have a missions trip coming up. And one of the things that happens on a daybreak mission trip, of course, you go overseas and I'm in Ecuador. Uh, I won't have technology. We give up technology for the trip. And so when I think about giving up technology, I th- I, I'm kind of a geek at heart. I like having technology, right? Like I, I like having my phone. And so the idea of like no Instagram feed, like no Facebook no texting my friend at the moment's notice. No podcast whenever I want to listen to something. I, no music, no Pandora. Like, oh my. Like, this is like not like a small little thing. Like, this is, this is a big deal. And so at first, after my body goes through its shock, and I'm like, you know, it's shock and awe a little bit, I know what will happen. This is not my first time doing this, and so I know what will happen. See, like, I keep my phone in my front pocket. So the first day or so on the trip, I'll have phantom rings. You know what a phantom ring is? When your leg vibrates, but there's no phone there. And you're like, oh, oh, a text message. Oh, you're like, but wait, I don't have anything. And yet your body is still like adjusting to the fact it likes its technology too. And so you're still adjusting to it. But by day three or four, I know what will happen too. I will be glad to have let it go. In fact, I will be so glad what, by the time I'm getting ready to come home, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be like, Hey, why don't we be Amish, everybody? Like, let's all leave our tech. Like, like, let's just dress in black and drive. Oh, I guess you can't drive black cars. That's the wrong. That's, that's Mennonites. So whatever it is, like, let's leave all that behind, right? I want the simple life. I want to enjoy the simple life. And that's what giving up sometimes does for us. Sometimes, sometimes you need to lose something out of your life to gain something much better to gain something much richer in your life. You have to let go of something. And so the essence of today's, the framework of today's message is found in Matthew 10, 39. And the words of Jesus, as he says later, and with a story that we're going to look at today, illustrates this really well as he begins to live it out. But the, the framework is what he says to people later. He says, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. If you cling to what you have and you hold on to it tightly and you want it for yourself, you're going to lose your life. You're going to lose all the goodness in life. But if you give it up, if you'll give something up for me, then you will find real life, the kind of life I want to give you. And today we're going to look at Jesus as a 12-year-old boy entering into a new place in his manhood journey, his journey to adulthood, and how he decides on purpose to lose some things, to 
to let some things go, to not cling to some things, because he knows what he can gain more. It's not just an illustration, it's a way of life that Jesus is inviting us to live. And so I want to invite you to do that too. And even as, you know, when I think about scriptures like this one, if you cling to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my, for my sake, you'll find it. And I go, Jesus, like, why did all your things have to be like opposite, hard to understand? Do you ever wonder this? Like, why does Jesus say things that are opposite and hard to understand? Like, how, how do I figure that out? And we'll talk about that a little bit later too, because it has a lot to do with how we want to interact with him and how he's inviting us to interact with him. So uh, today, if you'll open up your outline, you can follow along. If you haven't done so yet, you can find a little outline in your program guide. It'll help you follow along today as we talk about this extraordinary life that Jesus wants us to have. He wants to give us this extraordinary life. And the best way to find that extraordinary life is to lose your ordinary one. It's to lose the way that you normally do things by forgetting yourself, by losing a self-centered life, by practicing self forgetfulness, forgetting yourself on a regular basis. Now, that's, that's a strange statement, almost as strange as Jesus' statement of losing yourself to find yourself. Forgetting yourself helps you lose a self-centered life. It's not just a strange statement. It's actually a pretty hard statement to do because most of us are pretty good at remembering ourselves. We're good at forgetting other people, right? Like forgot your birthday, forgot your anniversary, forgot to call you, forgot to text you, forgot to show up for that appointment. We're very good at forgetting other people, but forgetting ourselves, generally we're pretty good at it. We remember what time, we remember that we're hungry, we remember that people owe us money, we remember lots of things that are going on in our life, we remember our agenda and what we want to accomplish. We remember all sorts of things about ourselves. So forgetting ourselves is really hard. It's really difficult. And that's the essence of Matthew 10, 39 encourages us to. If you want to find the extraordinary life that God wants to give you, the kind of life that Jesus has for you, then you must first practice self-forgetfulness. Get out of the center of your life and practice self-forgetfulness to find that extraordinary life that you've been looking for. And so Jesus began to live this way. And at 12 years old, there was an important event in a boy's, Jewish boy's life in that he was making a transition from being a boy and being seen as a boy and only being allowed to kind of sit at the kid's table and everything to a man, to manhood and being able to act like an adult and participate as an adult. And so Luke is setting up this story as a beginning as he begins to tell the story of Jesus' journey to the cross, that Jesus will come back to Jerusalem to die on a cross. As he begins to set up that story, he starts the story intentionally, not just with this story, but with two other stories about Jesus' beginnings to Jerusalem, like always coming back to Jerusalem, because this is the journey of Jesus in that area, to come back to the spiritual heart and the matter of things. And so Luke sets us up in Luke chapter 2, and uh, let, let's jump into Luke chapter 2, verse 41. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for Passover festival. Okay, so let's pause it for a second. So every year they go to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. The Passover festival, if you're not familiar with that and all the history of that, the Passover festival is this Jewish feast. It's a celebration of when the Jewish people were captives in Egypt and how God remembered them. And because God delivered them, he heard their prayers and made a pretty incredible deliverance of them. And if you've never seen that, you can go watch Charlton Heston this Easter, the Ten Commandments movie. It'll help you get a grasp and a picture of all that. But basically... God remembered them in their hour of need, and they never forgot it. And so they said, we will always celebrate the God who remembers, the God who delivers. 
And so Passover feast was a big deal in the year. And so every year, his parents would make a trek from Nazareth to Jerusalem. This is like a three-day journey on foot and not an easy journey on a macadam road where it's not dangerous. This was a dangerous journey. Every year, they would make the trek. And this year was particularly important because of verse 42, when Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. So they always attended. But Luke is sure to point out to you this morning, or in this verse right now, that what you need to pay attention to this morning is that Jesus had turned 12. This was an event in his life that was significant because it was like high school graduation. It was like, this is a 12-year-old's journey. It would be equivalent to our high school graduation where you're like, now you're going to choose what you're going to do for a living. You're going to apprentice in that job. And for the first time in your life, you go from just like memorizing how to live in the Jewish way of life and the, the following Jesus or following God at that point to you can actually interpret this and begin to live it out in your life. And we're going to entrust that journey to you. And so as they make that trek, they come to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem in itself is this huge city on a hill. It's this impressive city. And coming to Jerusalem is a bit like, you know, if you live in Perry County, when you come to Harrisburg, it looks like a big city, right? Like you've never been there before. For them, coming from Nazareth to Jerusalem was a big deal. And we have this painting. Some of you probably saw it as you came in this morning. But there's this painting that kind of illustrates, like, what did that look like? Like, what was it like for, for Jesus to sit near Jerusalem, to, to, to sit at the temple and to look at this overwhelming structure and to see it and for the first time be allowed to enter in. Because he had gone through the educational process of Mishnah, which was basically this process of like at certain breaks in a child's life, they were able to enter into farther places. And at this point, he would be allowed to go into places in the temple that he had never been allowed to go before because now he was entrusted with interpreting and hearing the scripture and asking questions about it. This was a big deal for him. And so every year they went to that place. And here in in Luke chapter 2, verses 43, it says, when the celebration was over, the Passover celebration in Jerusalem, they started home to Nazareth. But Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. Now his parents at first didn't miss him at all first because they assumed that they had been among other travelers. Okay, so it's very quite normal that when you're traveling from Jerusalem to Nazareth to Nazareth to Jerusalem, because it's a dangerous trek, you travel with lots of people. The more people you have, the safer you are. And so you would travel with all of those people together. And so it's quite normal to go like, yeah, everybody's kind of in the big crowd and maybe you lose some people in the crowd. Or you don't you know, pay attention to your kids. But here, here they are going on this journey and they, they didn't miss them at first because they assumed they were with other people. And then when he says, but when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends, and they couldn't find him. They couldn't find him amongst all these people that they're looking for him. They can't find him anyplace. And so, like, how many of you have ever been on a, on, on a trip someplace and you lost your kid? Any parents willing to admit that that happened to them? They're, well, let's put it this way. Your kid wandered off. Yeah, more hands on that one? Okay, good. I knew there were some more hands out there who were like, if I just put it the right way, your kid wandered off. So, so I, well, I remember Susie and I took, uh, we were on a trip to, we were going someplace, we were flying out of someplace, we were in the airport. Our, our boys were like three. I, I really didn't, in the first service, I couldn't remember how old they are. And I had to explain to everybody, I really, I did, I did really did care about them more. I just couldn't remember the exact age they were. But I remember the event. We were in the airport and you know that moment where you, like, you have your like, three-year-old's hand, they're with you, but you have to, like, you have luggage, and so you, 
you try to arrange some things differently and you look back and they're gone. They're like, they're gone. They're like Houdini vanished. You don't know where they are and you're in the airport and you are like, what's the first thing that comes to your head? Right, like some serial killer has them. Like in that tent, you know that that's what's happened to them. You're like, what happened? Where are they at? You're looking all around. Now, the advantage of having twins is when people come up to you and say, well, what do they look like? Because you're panicked and they see that you're looking for your kid. You just hold up the other one and say like this, like this, right? This is it's one of the good parts about having identical twins. So, and so um, we, we looked all over and he was, he was only like over in a little store and we found him and it was like five minutes. But in that five minutes was like, <gasps> And you can now imagine Mary, like they go looking for Jesus and he's nowhere to be found, right? I mean, if you are, if you're given the responsibility of raising the Messiah and you lose him, I'm pretty sure it's on your permanent record, right? Like not good, right? So she's looking all around. She's like, where is Jesus? We, we have to go back and Jesus decides to stay behind in Jerusalem. Now he's 12 years old. Now when I, when I go to Hershey Park with my kids, they want to know where I'm at. Do you want to know why? Because I got money for food, right? And they know that they need money for food. So they're, they're made, their plan is not about me. Their plan is about their bellies. But the same token, Jesus decides to stay behind in Jerusalem. I, I'm guessing like any 12-year-old boy, he's hungry and growing and eating his parents out of house and home. And so he's got no plan though. He is like self-forgetful. Like I... Forgetting about all of my needs because I'm so caught up in this moment where I get to spend with God that he just stays behind. He just loses himself. He just forgets for a second, for a minute, for a day, all of the other needs, where he's going to stay, what he's going to eat, what's going to happen next because he's so interested in what's happening with God. That seems hard to me. I mean, this is a 12-year-old boy who's able to do this. I can't do that for a minute. Like, I... I go through my whole day, and even as even yesterday, as I was like, I was winding down, and I'm doing a little reading, and I'm thinking about this message, and I'm thinking, I went through my whole day today. I'm I'm preaching about this, and I had a hard time forgetting about myself, like remembering God. Like I'm remembering you now, but it's really, you know, when you're getting up to speak, you don't want to like total look like a total idiot, right? So you want to know what you're saying, but that's that's not about God. That's about me. It's so hard to get it, right? To like forget about yourself. How many times during the day do you really, truly forget about yourself? Do you go, I've totally forgot about, I've lost myself in the moment of like getting back to it. I just, just forgetting about myself. I'm not centered. It's not about me at all. Because even when you start doing something that's not about you, it's easy to get back to. It's all about me. And this is hard to do. Why is it so hard for us to uncenter our lives on ourselves? Think back to middle school for a moment. Do you remember in middle school, just picture yourself by your locker in the hallway in middle school. What's that feeling you have right now? Remember that? That moment in middle school where you felt like, what's that feeling like under the magnifying glass? Worried about what other people were thinking about you? Worried about what you think about yourself? Trying to figure it all out? This starts really early in our life where we are so centered about how we can feel good about ourselves and our self-worth and what's going on, that there's this ordinary compulsion in every single one of you to prove that you're worthy, that you're valuable, that you can be accepted, that you can be loved. 
Every one of you has this ordinary compulsion and drive to prove something, to, to turn it out, to show someone else to be that person. It's very ordinary. The thing is, that if you hold on to that, you'll live a very ordinary life, just like everybody else. But Jesus says, if you'll give that up, you can have something more extraordinary. Instead of living your life every day in a courtroom where you evaluate how, you do, how am I doing? How am I doing today? How am I doing compared to that person? How are they doing? Like you can't celebrate anything. You're always concerned about that. Every one of us lives in that courtroom. And this invitation is to live differently, to say, I don't want to live in that courtroom anymore. I don't want to compare myself to everybody else anymore because that that road of being self-centered, it just leads to frustration and unhappiness. It leads, it leads to depression. I mean, that's not, just, that's not just Jesus saying it. That's what the studies say. The National Institute of Health says people who are more self-centered and focused on themselves tend to be more depressed people. So Jesus invites us to this new way of life to say, listen, I have something extraordinary to give you, but sometimes you have to lose an ordinary way, an ordinary thing, an ordinary way of doing life if you want what's extraordinary. Sometimes you have to let go, lose your grip on this protecting yourself, evaluating yourself, measuring yourself. The best way to do that is to lose your ordinary way of doing things, to forget yourself just for a minute. Forget what you think about you. Forget what you think others think about you. And just enjoy God. Just enter into maybe God's not really mad at me. Maybe he really loves me. And I'm going to lose myself in that. This is what you're being invited to. And that's what this practice in Lent of fasting is all about. It's about saying, you know what? I don't want my life to be about me and I'm not going to make it about me. In fact, I'm going to, because forgetting myself is so difficult, I'm going to put an intentional training, an intentional practice in my life to help myself forget about myself. It's kind of ridiculous that we have to work that hard for it, but it's true, isn't it? It's not easy to forget yourself. So you say, this thing I really like and desire, I'm going to go ahead and put that aside because I'm going to forget myself. I'm going to just lose myself for a second and say, I know I really want that. That's all about something I really enjoy. So I'm just going to set aside for a second and say, God, I'm going to recenter myself on you. I'm going to move over here and let you be the center of my world instead of me being the center of my world. That's hard. So when I was telling my sons the other day, we were talking about Lent, and I was telling them that I was going to fast something for Lent. They were like, well, what are you, what are you fasting for Lent? What are you going to give up, Dad? And I said, well, I think I'm going to give up my evening TV stuff, like things like I love, I'm a comic book fan. I love like the Arrow. I love like those shows, those Marvel comic shows. I love those shows, but I'm not going to watch them. I'm not going to watch evening TV. And they're like, Dad, what are you going to do? Like, like, what will you do with your life if it's not that, right? So I, I assured them that I will probably survive and I will probably find some other things to do that are good. But by letting go of that, something I love, it's going to allow me to recenter my life. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a minute. Worship team is going to sing this song about losing me, this idea of losing yourself, letting go of something. And I want you to maybe even just Maybe you want to reach in your program guide right now and pull out your response card just so you can record it. Like, what's God inviting you to lose? 
What's God inviting you this morning to let go of your grip on it so that it can let go of its grip on you? That you might, for the 40 days of Lent, say, good or bad, I don't know what that is, but I'm just going to let go of it a little bit more so that God can be the center of my life. I'm just going to forget myself a little bit. So I'm going to take your time as they sing this song. Just consider what is that thing? Record that. Make that decision this morning. Maybe you won't even know what it is. You just know God's inviting you to. So consider that. Take some time to ponder that this morning. Killing me, I can see you 
Jesus, it is incredibly difficult to lose ourselves. We have so many habits, so many opportunities, so many ways of protecting ourselves, propping up ourselves, because we want to be loved by you, because we long to be assured of that love. So God, I pray that you would assure us of that this morning as we begin to practice self-forgetfulness over this season of Lent. Will you sure up inside of us a great desire to lose ourselves that we might gain an extraordinary life, one that only comes when it is centered on you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus, Jesus just kind of forgets himself Let's go of himself and all of all that matters there, and says, I, "I'm going to train myself. I'm going to change the way I now live because I'm now 12, and I'm changing my trajectory to forget myself and to really center myself on God." And just like us, he has that courage because he knows his Father's love for him. So. Let's enter into this next, this next point, this next place in Jesus' life, the next place in the story, as we learn how he doesn't just forget himself, but he remembers God. And that's part of finding the extraordinary life, is by we need to remember God's presence. So that's the next point for you, is to remember God's presence. Remember God's presence in your life, which is the God-centered life. And the real cure to the self-centered life The only cure to the self-centered life is the God-centered life. It's the place where we recognize that it's not what we accomplish or what we need to get done or how we need to do it, but what God wants to accomplish in us and through us. Did you know that you were made to live in God's presence? And from the very beginning of the story that God wrote, it was about you being in his presence, that he invites you into the presence, that the whole Lenten journey where we celebrate what Jesus went to for the cross is that you and that the people that you know and love might be at peace with God and might know him and might be able to live in his presence. And by simply remembering that God loves you, that God, that you are in his presence, by simply remembering that on a regular basis, it can change your whole outlook on life and the way you approach life. And what I mean by that is I don't, what I don't mean is I've talked to people before and I've talked about re, like remembering God and, and they're like, well, you know I, know, I know God exists. I know, I remember that he's everywhere, but I don't mean that you know that God exists because even the devil knows that God exists, but it doesn't really do him any good. I mean that you remember that God wants to be present in your life and that it matters and that every minute of your life matters more because God wants to be present, that God is no longer angry at you. He's not mad at you. He loves you. He is for you, and he wants to be present in every moment of your life because that's the extraordinary life. That's the extraordinary life that you're invited to. And so we pick up the story in Luke chapter 2, verse 46, where Jesus has now been at the temple 
He's found his way to the temple. His parents, remember, they were looking for him. And it says three days later, they discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed in his answers and his understanding. Jesus, of all the places, you know, that I'm sure Mary and Joseph went looking for him, and they went looking for him at Sky Zone, but he wasn't at Sky Zone. They went looking for him, you know, down at the pool hall, but he wasn't at the pool hall. They went looking for him everywhere in Jerusalem for three days. You know what happens when you look for your kids for three days? I'll give you a hint. You get angry because you've been looking for them for three days. You're worried. You're like frustrated. You're like, what is going on? For three days, they look for him. And where is he at? He's not at the pool hall. He's not at the sky zone. He's in the temple. He's sitting among those who are talking about God because he is desperate to be in God's presence, to seek out God. Can you imagine? Like, not an hour in the temple, not half a day in the temple, not 11 to 12, 15 in the temple. Like, Three days in the temple. No food, no plan, no place to stay. Three days. You have to really want to be in God's presence to be there for three days. And you see, this this idea of him seeking his father's presence is another way of saying remembering God. It's really about seeking. It's about seeking God's presence in your life. And seeking is one of the most essential elements to your journey with God. You can have all kinds of things in your life. You can memorize all the Bible stories you want. But if you lose seeking, you've lost everything. Because our life in following Jesus is about seeking. It's about seeking. And, you know, I know a lot of Christians, if you've been in church a long time, you may have known this verse in Jeremiah 29. It says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. I hear people love that verse, and they love to quote that verse. But do you know what the verses right after that verse are? If you will call out my name, if you will seek me, I will be found. You see, this extraordinary life that God has for you is on the other side of seeking. It's on the other side of seeking God. And sometimes I hear Christian authors and people who are talking about the church and they relegate this word seeking to something as if it's like, well, if you don't know Jesus, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, then you are seeking. But then once you find Jesus, once you have him in your life, you're not seeking anymore. I think if you lose seeking, you lose everything. And they condemn churches that are seeker churches, but I hope that we're always that kind of a church, always seeking Jesus, always walking, because that's my heart for every person here, that you will always remain a seeker. Because the cure to self-centered life is becoming a seeker of a God-centered life, a life that orients itself around God's goodness, a life that becomes so enthralled in being in God's presence that nothing else matters. It goes on to say in Luke chapter 2, verse 48, you know, that his parents didn't know what to think, and they said, son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. And Jesus replies, But why did you need to search, he asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? I thought raising my teenagers was hard with the way they talk back to me. Darn, like, can you imagine? Like, oh, I have nothing to say to that, you know? Jesus says, didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? 
And they didn't understand what he meant. But actually, later in the passage, it says Mary treasured these things in her heart that she actually, she grasped like, oh, he wants to seek God with all of his heart. I think Jesus was authentically surprised that they wouldn't know that he wanted to be in God's presence. Now, seeing this, this uh, shirt, I kind of like it. It says, um, maybe you've seen it too. I, I, I'd rather be in the mountains thinking about God than in church thinking about the mountains. Have you ever seen that shirt? I'd rather be in the mountains thinking about God than be in church thinking about the mountains. Now, that's actually bad for business as a pastor, so don't wear that shirt around too much. But I like the sentiment. Here's why. Because I would rather be in God's presence than anywhere on the planet. And I hope that here you find God's presence, but the point is seek his presence. Be enthralled by his presence. And something happens in the mountains for me that's important. I set everything else down. I'm not so busy that I can't think about God. You know, one of the greatest enemies to your spiritual life is being busy, is being caught up in your to-do list, all the things you have to get done, all the agenda of the things you have to check off. I mean, you're making a grocery list on your bulletin. As you, I've seen your recycled bulletins when they go in there and they have the grocery list on them. And, what, and I think, wow, they forgot to get their milk now on the way home because they recycled that thing. You know? But they, you, I get it. We are all filled. And you know the first thing to go in my life when I am busy, when there are so many things to get done or so many crises to take care of, I guess I'll just shorten my time with God because there's so much stuff to get done. I guess I'll just cheat my time in community with other believers because I've got all this stuff that I'm busy with and I've got to take care of. I'm kind of exhausted, and so I don't, I'll, just, I'll just cheat that. I'll, just, I'll cheat my solitude and my quiet with God because there's so many people, phone calls and texts and people demanding things of me. I'll cheat all of those things. You know what that is, really? We think, we disguise it as something about being, oh, I'm helping other people, but... You know what it really is? Just revolving around yourself. Making sure you look good. Making sure that others think well of you. And I'd rather be thinking about God. Sometimes you've got to lose something to gain something better. Now, if you're like me, you can feel like quite the failure in that area. Now you get up and you, you have good intentions. And then you go through your whole day you don't remember God at all. And you feel like, this seems impossible. You feel like, I, why am I even bothered doing this? It just seems like it's overwhelming. It seems impossible to seek God all the time. That just sounds crazy. So here's what I want to say to you this morning. Listen, you've got a lot to do. I get it. So do your stuff. You've got, you got to take out the garbage. I get it. Take out the garbage. But while you're doing it, remember God. And you've got the stuff that you've got to do at work. We'll do it. But while you're doing it, will you be watchful, attentive, reminding yourself that God loves you and wants to be present in your life? And then watch for him. Watch for those opportunities of what he wants to do. And do you know what I think Jesus would say to you? Every time you go through your day and you feel like, I, I messed up again. There it is again. Live my whole life like all about me again. Do you know what I think Jesus would say to you? In that moment where you remember that you forgot, he would smile and he would say, way to remember. Now come, be with me just for a moment. Come remember again. Come be watchful of what I'm doing in your life. 
I haven't left you. You just forgot I was there. So don't, don't be too hard on yourself. Just come live life with me. So I love this word, word remembering. I love this word being forgetful of yourself because it reminds me, God is for me. God loves me. Sure, I will fail, but he will never fail me. And he is always inviting me back. He's no longer angry with me, so he's always inviting me back to be with him again. For those of you who are going, I don't know if I'm ready for that. I don't know if I, you know, I know you're talking about that. I know maybe that God-centered thing's for somebody else, and you're a pastor, so maybe it's for you. But I just ask you this question. How's, how's the self-centered living going? Do you have an unexplainable sense of joy and peace in your life? Because that's what happens when you're God-centered. Can you honestly say that you're going to look back over your shoulder with less regrets because of the way you live life and you're going to smile at it? Because that's what happens when you're God-centered. You get to live life differently. You get to live life with a deep confidence in your relationship with God. And I believe that that changes everything. Remembering God's presence in your life. Forgetting yourself, remembering God's presence means remembering his forgiveness, remembering his power, remembering his goodness, remembering that he, even when everybody else seems to abandon you, he doesn't. When other people don't understand you, he will. That's his invitation to you. So this morning, I want you to be encouraged to start thinking about your life and start anchoring it, not on yourself and your way of protecting yourself or getting ahead, but anchor yourself to self-forgetfulness and remembering God, to a new way of doing it, to have courage to forget yourself and to remember God. I know some of you are results-oriented, and I want to encourage you, this is not going to happen overnight. Tomorrow, you're not going to have this, you might, maybe you will, but most people are not going to have this great success just overnight. In fact, in Luke 2.52, it says that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and all people. In other words, over a lifetime, one decision at a time, One moment, one day at a time, he grew in favor with God. It's going to take a while. Will you have the courage to make that decision? Will you have the courage to live an extraordinary life that's centered on God? Some of you think about the results, so here's the results. Here's the bottom line if you're considering, like, do I want to do this? Do I want to even try this for Lent? If you will do this, here's what I believe is true you will end up in the end of a God-centered life is a wise, important person who does not base their internal value on being a wise or or important person. It's all based on God and their relationship with God, and that has changed everything in their life. And isn't that what we're all trying to get? A life that's so confident in God that we live it and we're not worried about everything else in our life all the time. This is what God invites you to. And so I want to invite you to you this morning too. We're going to actually practice some sacred things in our service this morning. I want to invite you to be part of them. One is communion. Communion has always been Jesus' way of saying, remember. Remember what I've done for you. Communion is your way of expressing to Jesus, I'm a seeker. I want to follow you. I want to accept your forgiveness. I want your way of life. So I will remember you as much as I can in my life. So I invite you practice communion this morning. We're going to do something a little different this morning, too. We're going to have an ash ceremony. And because we're daybreak and we don't really do traditions very well, we, like, we kind of redo them in 
the way that means meaningful to us, we're going to have Ash Sunday instead of Ash Wednesday. And I want to offer you the opportunity to come to the cross if you're ready for it. Because receiving ashes has been a traditional way of saying, in fact, the traditional way, the traditional thing a priest or a pastor or someone might say over you in a very liturgical environment would be ashes to ashes, dust to dust, which is akin to forget yourself. Remember God. Don't center your life on yourself. Remember that your life is short and fragile and is in God's hands. Remember God. And so for some of you, it's not for everybody, but for some of you, as you're making this sacred commitment to Lent, you might want to just seal that pact with God this morning at the cross, to come to the cross and say, Jesus, what you've done for me is so important that I want to come. Matt Pearson, one of our elders, will be here, and he'll just apply it to your forehead and say this prayer over you. Forget yourself. Remember God. And let that be a sacred moment of sealing with you and God. The fact that this next 40 days, you want it to be about God, not about you. You want to change the trajectory of your life. You want the extraordinary life because you're tired of your ordinary life. So this is what I invite you to this morning. So I'm going to pray. Worship team's going to play a song. You can come at any point and take the communion elements and go back to your seat. But if you want to seal that deal with God this morning, you want to say, God, I, I, I want to make that externalize, that symbolic commitment to you, then you can just stop at the cross and receive those ashes this morning. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to remember you. And Lord, forgetting ourselves is hard. And so this morning, we externalize as many things as we can. We, we want to make a commitment to you and say, God, this is going to be hard. But Jesus, I'm going to need your help. And I desperately need your help. I want to remember your power and your goodness in my life. So Lord, may we do that this morning as we celebrate you. In Jesus' name. There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. No thing can compare. You're a living hope. Your presence, Lord. I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves where my heart becomes free and my shame is undone. Your presence, Lord. Holy Spirit, who I welcome here, come flood this place and feel the your glory, God, is what our hearts long for, to be overcome by your presence, Lord. Your presence, Lord. 
Jesus set out for the cross and told the disciples to do this to remember me. He forgot lots of things. He forgot to protect his body. He forgot to avoid pain. He forgot to run from difficulties that his body might be broken so that we might have life. So as you eat this morning, may you also forget yourself, forget your protection, forget your ways. Lose that ordinary compulsion that it might be. Have something greater to replace it. Let's eat together. cup around wine in it and he said and every time you drink this every time you do this ordinary thing let it become a sacred moment because this will help you remember God's no longer mad at you you're forgiven you're free from the old life I want to give you a new life would you seek me this morning as you drink you remember God's loving presence by God will you help us to embrace the extraordinary life that you have for us by losing ourselves by resisting the urge to cling to what's been important a whole lives let go to find you to seek you to never be satisfied to be outside your presence to just remember you God let's forget ourselves and remember in Jesus name I encourage you now just to take a few a minute or two um, response card it's probably right in front of you. you may have already written something on it but team's just going to give you just an opportunity to slow down for a second to, to really express what the Westminster Catechism says well, that you, the chief end of mankind is to glorify God, to enjoy Him forever. So whatever your response is today, whatever prayer request you have, whatever place that you're at that you want to seal with God this morning, will you do that in the next few moments? And then we'll celebrate what God wants for us in the extraordinary